So strive for peace and mutual upbuilding. D.L. Moody said this, quote, There will be no peace in any soul until it is willing to obey the voice of God. Close quote. You can say today everyone wants peace. The question is, how is peace attained and how is it maintained? Peace is defined as the freedom from disturbance, tranquility, uh, a mental calm, serenity, a treaty agreeing to the cessation of war between warring states, freedom from civil disorder. But the peace that God offers goes far beyond what is defined in Webster's. It's a peace that goes far beyond to, for, to, to uh, arrive at a personal experience, one that is certain in Christ, one that only God can offer and has offered through Jesus Christ and is eternal. It is complete. There's nothing to add to it, nothing that you can do to make it better. It is powerful enough to relieve us of all anxieties, all worries, all fleshly concerns, as God's peace includes eternal hope of God's glory because the hostility between us and God has been taken care of by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. As Jake Reminded us, without the, the, the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin. No, there's a, there's a saying, and I'm sure you've seen it perhaps on a shirt or on a bumper sticker that says, No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Spelled differently, and it's a play on words, right? No, having the knowledge of Jesus, uh, knowing him salvifically, uh, salvation uh, in the Lord is to know peace, but know Jesus, no peace. And that's true. You see, God not only made a way by his grace through Jesus Christ to be reconciled unto him, but he also did this so that we in Christ would know peace. The hostility was no longer against us as we were no longer in our sins, but the righteousness of Christ, by the shedding of his blood, has covered us. And as the Father sees us, he sees the Son. He made a way also for us to know peace among his people. Sometimes we think perhaps that's impossible, right? But it's not impossible. We just have to be willing to yield to his authority, his word. To do the hard thing and sometimes confront sin. To deal with it and to humble ourselves in such a way that we surrender to the governing authority of God's word in our lives. That takes humility. You know, in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, 
one of the distinctions that I want to make first off this morning is that there, there is a difference between the love that is defined by the world and the love that is defined by God and his word. You know, I know there's a, there's a, something on social media that, um, you know, my wife have, had posted and others have shared as well as far as, far as a, a quote by Paul Washer. And he has, and, and I, I don't know the quote exactly, but he was talking about the difference between the love that the world describes and defines and, and the difference between the love that the Lord defines in his word. We need to know very well the love that is defined by God's word. That's what we stand on. Because this is not to be confused with the love for the world for friendship with the world is enmity with God, according to James 4.4. 4. It is not to be confused with a life of compromise with the things of the world. Bad company ruins good morals, 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. What accord has Christ with Belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? according to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. So it's not to be confused with the other. Compromise in a fellowship with the world is no love at all. In fact, we are called to be separate from the world, not apart from the world in that we're in the world, but separate as far as a people is concerned unto the Lord. As a church, as the body of Christ, we need to get this right. Because it is designed to glorify Jesus. After all, we have declared our allegiance, our loyalty, that we belong to Jesus Christ. Have we not? We belong to him. In fact, we have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we do not belong to ourselves. Therefore, we, we need to get this right. Again, because we ought to desire Above all, to bring glory to Jesus Christ. If done according to his word, we will. But also know this, that if we reject, if we ignore, if we rebel, if we do it our own way and in our own pride, rest assured that we will bring shame to the Lord. We need to learn how to love one another. How to strive for peace. How to strive for a mutual upbuilding. What does that look like? And it's all according to the word of God. In fact, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to go to verse 11. So Ephesians 2, and then 11. Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus. He says in verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uh, uncircumcision by what is called 
the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Since this is true of our relationship with the Father through the Son. We ought to also pay attention to what God's Word says about the ordinances and about the peace we ought to have with each other. We belong one to another. We are not an island in practicing our faith. It's impossible. In fact, it goes against the very Word of God. The Word of God tells us, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but doing even more so as we see the day approaching. We cannot do this alone. We need each other. But we need to pay attention to what the Word says in regards to how to pursue, how to strive for that peace and the upbuilding of the very body of Christ. We need to pay attention to those details and learn how to do that amongst ourselves again as he builds up the body. Jesus being the cornerstone and the foundation being the apostles and the prophets upon which we build. And build we must, for that is our commandment. That is the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So strive, let's learn this morning how to strive for peace and mutual upbuilding. Two things that I want to point out. Number one, learn not to quarrel. Can we all say that? Learn not to Again, one more time. Learn not to quarrel. Learn not to quarrel. Learn not to quarrel, right? Number two, learn to not hinder Or make stumble. Two things. So so let's start out with learning to not quarrel. Because we begin. In fact, look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Those two chapters begin in such a way to where we need... 
it is an imperative. It is something that we ought to practice ourselves, and that is humility. Considering others more than ourselves. Learn not to quarrel. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. You know, I understand that as we read these first 12 verses, that these points even that I have brought to the surface are stated in the negative. But it's for a reason that they are made this way, that they are stated in this way. Because we are inclined to do these things. Today we are obsessed with not wanting to be told what not to do. In fact, you look at a child, a little kid, they hate to be told what not to do. Right? Even, we live in a fallen world. And sin is there. And it is present in your little angels as well. They hate to be told to not do something. We are no different. That's what we're inclined to do. You tell me not to do something? Oh, I, now, now I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> and when I do do it, I'm going to make sure you know that it's not because you told me not to do it. Remember, I always tell you on Wednesdays, consider the character of God, right? Does God neglect to tell us what not to do? No, not at all. There are things he points out we are to do, and there are many other things he points out that we are not to do. It is actually a faithful friend that is willing to wound. But remember, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. An enemy will tell you whatever you want to hear. Is that what you want around you? A bunch of people who don't, do not have your welfare at heart, uh, well-being at, at heart, your, your good place, position before the Lord, and they allow you to do whatever it is that you want, want to do? Well, that's not the Lord's character. This morning we begin by learning that there are people within the church that are weak in faith. So, <clears throat> again, just the obvious that we need to point out. Why? Because as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, this was the church in Rome. He addressed this issue, and he continues on. We don't know the specifics. This is more of a, a general uh, lesson, something that we ought to take to heart. So, it applies to us just as it did then to the church it does today to the church and today in our place in the very day in which we're living in. Because you may believe that you are the person who is strong in your faith. And others really are the ones who are weak in faith. But this morning is not an exercise in self-exaltation. It is a time to consider what God has to say about how to strive for peace and the mutual upbuilding of his church. 
which requires, again, personal humility before the authoritative word of God. So let us all yield to the authority of God's word, shall we? Paul says that the church is to welcome the weak in faith. Not just the, the greeters at the door, not, not just like to bring them in and say, hello, you know, we're happy you're here. But what this speaks to is coming alongside them. It's not enough to just introduce yourself, but we are called as a church to come alongside each other. To welcome is to take one beside, to come alongside. This is not a reference to a person who trusts Jesus Christ very little either. The person who has a weak faith, but rather a person who has a mind that doesn't understand how to handle themselves without passing judgment. The person whose faith is Ineffective, the person whose faith is not effective in certain situations because he does not understand the meaning of, the, of justification by faith, does not understand that. So we need to ask the question, who can be weak in faith? New believers? I remember as a new believer, I was totally weak in my faith. I may have had all the trust in the world, For God and Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. My faith was strong in that sense. But was I weak in faith? And the the answer is absolutely. I was weak in faith. Um, How about those who are sick or sickly? There are believers who are sick or sickly. And there are those who are just simply immature believers. They haven't grown beyond the first grade, the first year of walking with the Lord. That's called immaturity. That's not degrading them. That's not telling them that they're stupid in any way, shape, or form. It's just stating a fact. There's immaturity. Why? Because you haven't gone beyond perhaps that first year or six months of reading the Word and knowing God and His Word. New believers are weak because they don't know what they don't know. Sick believers are weak because they are either in bondage to legalism or compromised in their participation of sinful acts. Sickly believers are weak because they're not taking in the word of God, either because of personal neglect or bad teaching or both. Immature believers are weak because they are stuck in whatever stage of spiritual growth they're in and refuse to see beyond their present understanding of Scripture. If you're not growing in the Word, in your understanding of the Word, you're, you're, you're stuck. You're, you're not seeing the beautiful wisdom of God and what He offers But Paul is telling the church, for such, we are to welcome them. We are to come alongside them. But not so that you can disagree on trivial issues. Not so that you can quarrel. I want to come alongside, because I want to point out to you a few few things, brother. You know, you are uh, thinking wrong in these areas, and so I just wanted to Welcome you, and then point these things out to you real quick. 
that's, that's not what the Apostle Paul was saying. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's coming alongside, getting to know them, showing them how much we love them, and then bringing them along in a gentle way. Well, what, were, what was regarded as trivial issues? Number one was food. One person believes they can eat anything, and another believes they should only eat vegetables. Right? This was an issue. And by the way, that's still an issue even today. One eats meat, the other one just veggies. And you know, which one's more holy? Which one's more righteous? Which one's following the Word of God more closely? Right? So that was a debate that's, that was had then, and it's a debate that's still had today. Listen, no one that was converted to Christianity then and no one who is converted to Christianity today comes with minds that are empty slates. Nobody. Remember that every person normally has years of living the way they have. Some have deeply rooted habits and attitudes that the Lord has to work through. Remember that the Lord has to work through. He may use you to help them through. Nonetheless, you need to allow the Lord to work through those people, including you. Some have deep convictions about repelling self-indulgence to the point where they choose to live by abstaining from all forms of indulgence. Sometime giving up eating meat, if that's the case, altogether. It's like asceticism, the complete denial of the flesh in many ways. In Paul's day, there were some Jews, some Jews who chose to keep the law of Moses and observe the Sabbath. You know, I was reminded the other day, so I... Uh, we joined um, <clears throat> Beth Simca, which is a Jewish congregation or a Messianic Jewish congregation, and uh, in uh, celebrating Rosh Hashanah, we observed Rosh Hashanah with them, and so it's uh, it, it's a time where uh, they acknowledge it's uh, leading up to the preparation of Yom, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, which was on Wednesday. All right, so with that. There is the uh, blowing of the shofar. Um, it's, a, it's a time of celebration. It's the new year. And it's all preparing for, again, the Day of Atonement, which, by the way, we observed today at communion. We observed that, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who atoned for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Now, they are our brothers and sisters And they do observe all the festivals. Now, is that a requirement for salvation? And the answer is no. It is not. For them, they look to Jesus as the Messiah. He is the one who came that was foretold of in the scriptures and was fulfilled in the scriptures So as they celebrate, they celebrate differently. But are they any better than us? The answer is no. In fact, we just read in Ephesians, right? We're all one in Christ. If you want to look to the Council of Jerusalem, you can know there in the book of Acts how it is that uh, even those who were leaders in the church decided not to put on the Gentiles 
additional restrictions by observing the festivals and all that. They didn't have to do that. But in this day, some Jews, they chose to keep the law of Moses and observe the Sabbath. What each is failing to see is that justification by faith made these things irrelevant. Whether you were on one side of the spectrum or the other, what we really need to realize is that in Christ, all of this was fulfilled. And so therefore, the observance of that meant nothing other than you were there to celebrate that which God had fulfilled through Jesus Christ. But as far as salvation was concerned, as far as your faith was concerned, it was irrelevant. Paul is addressing such people who have brought such habits of thinking and living and is teaching us this morning, God is through his word, how to handle each other. Come alongside. Do not quarrel with them. And here are some things to keep in mind. Number one, in things that are just opinions, don't pass judgment because that person will stand or fall before their own master, just like you. So whatever it is that you insist on, make sure that you understand you stand or fall before your master. Who's our master? Jesus Christ. We stand or fall before him. So will they. What this means is that they will answer to the Lord Jesus Christ regarding these matters, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Listen, it's not that he, you know, the Lord is, um, needs some help, and uh, you know, he's not able to make him stand, so therefore I need to come along, and I, I need to pass judgment, I need to do this and that. Listen, just like he's able to make you stand before him, so is he able to make that person stand before the Lord. You are not his master. Jesus is, and he's doing a work in his life just as he is doing a work in your own life. Oftentimes, we just need to get out of the way. He or she will stand or fall before the Lord. That is sobering, by the way. We will all have to answer. And if by chance the Lord was making every attempt at using someone else to help you in that understanding, and you rejected that person's admonition or exhortation or rebuke, then God help us because we are going to have to answer for that. You see, with all of us, the Lord is doing this work of sanctification. It is the process of being made into the image of Christ, holy and righteous. Number two, People will do or not do in honor of the Lord as a matter of conscience. You know, as we read again in verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another seems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives, gives thanks to God. One person may value one day more than another, and another person may value all days alike. People may abstain from or observe, but may all be doing this in honor of the Lord. That should be what 
distinguishes whether we abstain or whether we observe. Are we doing that in honor of the Lord? We should acknowledge that and we are not to get into heated arguments or disagreements about these types of things. In other words, rise above the personal issues of opinions. And I'm, I'm clearly stating, right, these are opinions. This is a matter of conscience. Because Paul is not allowing for conscience to excuse sin. Talking about opinions, I'm not talking about something that is obviously, clearly against the word of God and sin. We need to be very clear about that. This is not what he is referring to. Note the difference, but learn how to rise above them regarding our love for one another and learning how to come alongside each other despite the differences. So there there will be differences, but we need to learn how to come alongside each other. Number three, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account of ourselves to God. All of us, one day, we will have to give an account. Therefore, do not pass judgment on another, and do not despise your brother for their opinions on these matters. They are not sin. They are not salvific issues. So we must learn not to quarrel, but also to be proactive in not hindering or making another stumble. Again, legalism and compromise are on the two extreme polar opposite um, reaches of the spectrum. We should learn how to handle each other. And as we mature in the Lord, we will learn how to handle each other and come alongside. Secondly, learn, not, learn to not hinder or make stumble. Verse 13, as we continue, says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin." In Luke chapter 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, that is, Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. 
It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. These little ones, again, are the ones that Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 14. The little ones are are the weak ones. Whether new in Christ or immature or, or sick or sickly, these are the little ones. They are without understanding. And woe to anyone who causes them to sin, who places a stumbling block before them, who hinders their faith. For it would be better if a millstone were hung around their neck and they'd be thrown into the depths of the sea. Learn to not hinder or make stumble. I also again need to note that this is not doing away with biblical rebuke or admonishment. Because that is necessary and we are called to do that. But rather we can beat someone down by being legalistic about things. Either in the observance of or the abstention of. Either one can be a form of legalism. Either way. The point that Paul is making is that as Christians, we are to make every effort to not be a stumbling block or a hindrance to another's faith. Quite the opposite. We should encourage it. We should facilitate it. Again, we should come alongside. Um, I'm reminded of... Uh, boating, and as you're out in open waters and you see another boat who is in trouble in whatever way, whether they've run out of fuel or because their engine stopped working or they're taking on water, whatever it is, um, there is a signal that is given to one another to come alongside. And as you do that, you come alongside this vessel that is in trouble, And when you come alongside, it's not to come alongside and tie off to it in order to point out their problem. It is to help them out and safely get them back to harbor. And it's not necessarily the vessel that is important to get back to the harbor, but its occupants. If you need to, bring all of them aboard your vessel so that you can carry them into a safe harbor. I I think of that illustration because I think about what we're called to do. You see, the soul of a person is is what's important. And so, therefore, we give of ourselves in coming alongside, in sacrificing and esteeming others more than ourselves, and ensuring that we are the very ones who are used by God to bring them back into a safe harbor. need to be willing to deny self, sometimes, sometimes of our own personal liberties for the sake of our fellow Christians. But remember that this has to do with either observing or abstaining in honor of the Lord. Now, I do want to deal with the elephant in the room. <clears throat> the elephant in the room... Do we mask or not mask? Do we get vaxxed or not vaxxed? Right? Is that not the the elephant in the room in today's day and age? You guys all right? Okay. 
Yeah, it's, it's an elephant in the room, right? You know, <clears throat> we, uh, we hear that, you know, how it is that loving your fellow brethren by denying your personal liberties, and it's applied to that. This has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. This has to do with idolatry. Unless we idolize certain entities, then of course, and we need to address that because that's idolatry. But I just want to make something very clear. This has nothing to do with that. When it's, when it's applied in that fashion by pastors, uh, it, it's, a, it's a mistake. It, it's, a, it's a mishandling of Scripture. It does, does not have to do with that. It said, eating and drinking unto the Lord. Um, observing or abstaining unto the Lord in honor of the Lord. So that would be a mistaken interpretation of, of this. That is why I pointed out that this has to do with either observing or abstaining in honor of the Lord. Regarding things and days that have to do with idols and have to do with sin. Remember that we are to consider these things and come alongside each other. Verse 16, I want to read that one more time. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now, out of context, that means that you defend where you stand at all costs, And do not allow someone else to call it evil. That's what that means. Right? Out of context. Yes. (laughs) So may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. (laughs) How timely is that? (laughs) Yeah. This verse does not mean, verse 16, not that one. This verse does not mean that you are to defend what you deem as good to be, and as it's called evil. It means don't insist on doing what you deem as good to the point of it causing someone else to stumble or to hinder them in their faith. So you insist on it, and what happens is instead of it being good, it's actually considered to be evil. Don't, and specifically, don't place eating and drinking before God's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What's more important? What is acceptable to God and will be approved by men is what really we need to put before us. The active pursuit of what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, that is what is acceptable to God and what is beneficial for the mutual Upbuilding of the body of Christ. This is the work of God that we can destroy by insisting on having things our own way. And that is what we are warned of to not do. You got to be very careful. Verse 20. 
And as we close, says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself or what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats Because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we have a lot there in the closing verses of this chapter. But we need to keep in mind, we need to keep before us that we need to strive to make peace and to upbuild the body of Christ, to upbuild each other, to rise above and esteem others more than ourselves. It says here that we are to make sure that if there is something that will, would cause someone else to stumble, that we would be willing to consider, if at all possible, to deny ourselves of that in order for that person not to be made to stumble. Would you be willing to abstain from something in order for someone else to not be made to stumble? need to be willing to do that. Now, again, I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about something specific that has to do with idolatry. It has to do with sin. As far as what, what, you know, as long as they're not asking you to do something like that. Rise above. Esteem others more than yourself. But make sure it's done by faith. Because if you doubt as to what you're partaking in, if, if, or not partaking in, if you doubt then it is sin. As that last verse says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you do not doubt, if you do not condemn yourself and where you stand, then what you observe or abstain from proceeds from faith and in honor of the Lord and make sure you do not judge others for opinions or matters of the conscience. We, we are not to be there. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So make sure that we're observing what we observe and abstain from what we abstain by faith. I'll close with this. Consider this. Is there anything in my life that is hindering someone else's faith? Number one. Number two, is there anything in my life that is hindering my own faith? Keeping you from growing in the Lord. Do I have joy and peace in the Lord? Am I promoting that in other people's relationships with the Lord? Remember, strive for peace in the mutual upbuilding of ourselves within the church. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, with um, perhaps uh, hearts that have been encouraged to be open to you. That you would inspect our hearts, that you would check us. That, Lord, anything that is not of you, Lord, would be confessed. Lord, that we would repent of that sin and, and Lord, uh, allow you to lead us by your word and by your truth. I do ask, Lord, that you would strengthen this church Lord, that we would learn to come alongside one another.
to deny ourselves where we need to deny ourselves and, and Lord, stand in the gap with others where we need to. That we would be men and women who encourage one another in our faith. That we do not judge each other in regards to opinions or issues of conscience. Lord, but we would be willing vessels to help each other along in our growth in Christ. To a point of maturity. Because your word tells us, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. By the love that you have for one another. Lord, our desire is for the world to see and to know that we belong to you. And so teach us. Help us to be kind to be gentle toward one another and demonstrate that love to a dark and lost world, that they may desire that very same relationship in that family that is so tight-knit, Lord. We can rejoice and have hope in Christ and come worship you freely. So we thank you, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.